0: This is episode number 387 with Alex Homozi of The Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty
0: human who is intent on learning.
1: It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now, 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 the Founder Podcast, even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, today's guest is Alex Homozzi, and he's made over $100 million by the time he was 30, and he's on his path to his goal of becoming a billionaire. Now, like us, he's on a mission to democratize entrepreneurial education. He's going to share so much gold with you today. I really enjoyed picking his brain on how to build significant personal wealth, how to scale any business in any niche. So please welcome Alex Homozzi. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today, Alex. The first question we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today?
1: Oh, by a master plan. that I started out when I was three. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, kinda, I iterated and failed my way here. Um, uh, I'll, try and do, I'll try and give you the, the two minute short story. How's that? So I, um, I was a management, so I went to school, uh, went to school for a business degree. Uh, did management consulting after school for two years. Did um, defense contracting, so space cyber and intelligence, uh, top secret, all that stuff. Uh, it sounded really cool. Sounds much cooler than it was for me. I was mostly just taking notes during dictated meetings and turning them into and hi- highlighted, color coded notes. Um, but didn't like that. Uh, had coworkers tell me that I should start fitness stuff because it was all I was talking about used the consulting method which I knew, which is look up experts and um, connect with them because it's faster to learn that way. Emailed 40 guys, one guy got back to me. Um, I offered to work for him for free. Uh, Left everything I had, sold my condo, drove across the country 36 hours later. I was there, Uh, worked for free for three months, started my first facility, Um, learned about Facebook ads at about that time, Uh, used that as the primary way of getting customers, Uh, opened up a new location every six months, uh, after the after month fifteen of the first location, open up a new location every six months at full capacity. Um, went to a different marketing summit, saw a guy, signed up for his his like mentorship. He said I should be showing people how I was doing what I was doing rather than opening up more gyms. I took his advice because he was richer than me. Uh, so then I did turnarounds for uh, so I flew around the country and did uh, thirty three turnarounds. I flew out and filled people's gyms and uh, had an eight guy sales team. Doing that, turn around eight gyms a month. That was uh, an intense period. And then uh, from there, uh, realized that the logistics were getting really difficult to scale. We were doing probably three ish hundred thousand a month at that point. And so we switched to a licensing model. Um, and, uh, and then that is when everything kind of took off. There's a ton of heartbreak and bankruptcies and failed partnerships intermixed in there. But that is the two minute story of how I got to the first big successful company, which is Gym Launch. Then we started uh, a supplement company 12 months later. Uh, then we started a software company 12 months after that. Um, and then we started the parent company, Acquisition.com. We acquired interest in three other companies, about to be four. So we'll have seven in the portfolio. Um, and those companies now do about $85 million a year.
0: Yeah, wow. Okay, awesome. So the supplement company is Prestige Labs and the software yep. company is Use Allen, correct? Yep. And... Um, yeah, look, as I said offline, and and you know sent you a DM, slid in your DMs. Like I I have been following your work, like I I and I've you know noticed that you've been producing a lot of content on YouTube. It's really awesome. You you really know your stuff. I didn't know you come from a management consulting background. Kind of makes sense now. Um, and you've wrote this awesome book called Hundred Million Dollar Offers. So I want to talk about that. And I'm noticing that you're really starting to build your personal brand. So First thing I want to talk about as well is just kind of like, do you think entrepreneurs are hardwired or or do you think they they can be made? Um, and if so, why?
1: I think it's a really good question. I think it's a nature-nurture thing. So I think that there are some people who are hardcore, could never live another way. And there are some people who will never be entrepreneurs. But I think there's a whole lot of gray in between that depends on stimuli and circumstance. I think for me, I don't think I was hardwired an entrepreneur. I wasn't slinging lemonade. I think if if there was like ten being you know the Gary V who says he could never be anything but an entrepreneur, and then a one is, you know, an academic chair at a department of mechanical engineering. Um, I think I was actually closer to like a three. Like I think I'm actually left of middle in terms of not being necessarily an entrepreneur personality type. Um, The only reason that I think I even got into this was because I so disliked the career that I was on that I. I just wanted kind of, candidly, I just wanted the emotional pain to end. And so I just thought like, I didn't even want to be alive anymore. And so I just threw away all my goals around money and just said, I'm going to do something that I love. Even if I don't make anything, I'll start a gym. I like fitness. Um, But then I got the bug and realized I like business more than I liked fitness. Um, And then that kind of started the next kind of passion that started growing within me. Like the day that I opened my gym was the day that fitness became second most important thing in my life. Business became the most important thing in my life. Mm, I see. So
0: you wrote this book called $100 Million Offers. Is this your first? Yeah. You know, you wrote a book on on Jim uh, Jim Launch, launch Secrets. So you, so you wrote a book on a, that was like a lead gen. But this $100 Million Offers book um, seems like, like a lot of, like it seems like it's doing really, really well. Like what compelled you to write this? And what inspired you to write this book?
1: I know I, I, I share my numbers really transparently on the channel. Um, you know, my wife and I have taken a tremendous amount of dividends from the business. And we've sold, you know, one, um, I'd sold my gyms, but that wasn't anything huge. Um, and I, we, we signed our will to give away everything we have when we die anyways. So I realized, you know, in thinking through that decision, I was like, well, giving away everything that I have when I die is, is neat, I guess. Uh, cause then it decreases some of the pressure around like why I make more now. Right. Um, but then I was like, it, I think the most valuable thing that I can give isn't money, um, which we do give, but it's, it's the skills, right? It's the giving fish versus teaching them into fish. And so that was kind of the, the spirit behind the YouTube channel, the spirit behind the books and the courses and things that I'm just giving away now. Um, mostly cause it feels good. <laughs> um, and, and because I, I get to participate in some cool companies, you know, some, you know, I, I get to meet new people uh, from this. And I think that Layla and I were really, really sheltered in terms of how we've done our business career up at this point. I mean, you know, we were known within a very small niche, but for the most part, we've just kind of stuck to doing that. That was actually an active decision. Um, about a year into gym lunch, once we transitioned to licensing, we were doing about two and a half million a month. And we said, we can't mess this up. And we've got too many families, too many employees who rely on us. And so we, we basically said, we're not going to have friends. We're not going to drink. We're not going to go out. We're just going to work, and right or wrong, you know what I mean. That that was just where I was mentally at the time. I was like, I just need to do this and do a really good job, and um, and we did. But now that we've kind of come, I would say, come out of that season of life, um, now it's like, hey, we can look around and share some of the lessons that that we've learned along the way.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I respect that. So, um, I have to ask you to just delve a little deeper on that piece that. You said you, you, guys are, you and your partner, Leila, have already written your will and you'll give everything away. Like, like why, why?
1: We're not big believers in legacy. You know, I, I believe at least, you know, America's built on equal opportunity. I don't think that inherited wealth does anyone any good. I think, it's, I think it ruins people. I think you have to learn how to, like, I believe money is a, um, is a tool. And my favorite magic card, which there's a game called Magic the Gathering that I played when I was a kid, but it was, um, she wished for a weapon but not the skill to wield it. And so I think that people get this very powerful tool and they don't have the skill to wield it. And I think the only way to have not have money own you is to know how to generate it. And then you can respect it for what it is, know what its limitations are and know what you can do it, use it for. And I think that most people who are gifted it. So if I don't have kids, but if I did have kids, I still wouldn't give them uh, the money because uh, they have to, they have to do it on their own. Otherwise it'll, I think it'll ruin them.
0: And when it comes to aspirations, um, one of my close friends, he's a, he's a gym guy. Um, so I think he, yeah, he, he's been following you for a long time. He, he mentioned to me that your aspirations are to become a billionaire. Right? So like you, you want to, you still want to acquire, um, you know, a sizable amount of wealth,
1: right? Yes. And it's, it, it's, it's, the easiest way for me to explain is, is like, I want to have a very big goal. That sounds exciting. Um, but I have absolutely no emotional investment. If I never hit it, I wouldn't be upset. I do think I'm going to get it, but I, but I wouldn't be upset either way. Just on math. I think we'll get there. Like if we don't do anything, we'll get there.
0: Can you talk to us about the how, like conceptually kind of like top level, like, like how do you plan to get there?
1: Yeah, totally. So, um, we're just going to be investing in businesses that are similar to the ones that we scaled, um, and participate in the growth. I mean, It's a very very simple model. (laughs) Um, And just, you know, penciling out the numbers, like I know that I can acquire um, probably a a decent sized chunk of four to eight businesses a year. Um, And I think that I can reasonably three to five X those in three years, because we're just looking at uh, niche businesses that we know that we can crush. So the thesis, I'll I'll, I'll zoom out for a second. So the thesis point acquisition.com is that Formal education, at least, you know, in America for me, I feel like formal education failed most of us, right? You know, we, we we put a lot of money in, there's some in the US, you can't bankrupt out of the debt, like you cannot get out of the debt that you owe for your schooling. And the entire idea, least like the original premise of higher education was that you'd now be a more valuable member to society, be able to be more gainfully employed and provide value, right? The problem is that the promise is undelivered, right? And people go in and get the same Level of income after they get a degree as as what they could get before, and if you just look at the parallel track of somebody who took the same amount of money and spent it on what I would consider alternative education over a four year period, I would say almost invariably the person who spends on alternative education would be far better off four years later than somebody who partied for four years at college. And so I think that with te- technology, um, I borrow this from Naval Ravikant. I just like the quote a lot. Technology. Uh, democratizes consumption and consolidates production, which means if you're the best in the world, you get to do it for everyone. And so I think that education is going to become or already has been and will increase in its fragmentation. So you'll have more niche verticals. And instead of having generalists, which is what formal education is based on liberal arts, where you get like, I've got English and math and Aztec literature and female studies and whatever, right? Um, Instead, it's how to use Airbnb to make money how to drive Uber and make money, how to you, you know, do Amazon FBA. What's hilarious to me is that like there's more Amazon sellers than there are almost than you can pick you can pick a profession that's out there in the United States. And there are more individual Amazon sellers than there are almost of any you know sub subgroup of individual thing. But why isn't Amazon or e-commerce, a, a major in undergraduate. It's a real, you know, it's a real way of making money. And so I think that with this huge fragmentation, education hasn't hasn't gotten close to catching up, but the demand for high value skills has never been higher. And so you have this huge amount of demand for people who want to have skills so they can feed themselves and provide value. And then you have almost no supply. And so what that's given birth to is what I would consider you know, the alternative education scene, which is blowing up, right? The entire, all the gurus and e-learning and all that stuff. And some of it's bad, some of it's good, but at the end of the day, the demand is going to drive it. And so um, my bet that in my thesis behind is I want to find the people who are the best at their specific thing, the best salon girl, the best auto, you know, auto mechanic, the best gym owner, the best, all of these things, and then wrap the model that I already know how to deliver, you know, provide exceptional service. Provide great value. How to teach effectively so that people can understand the concepts, and then ultimately make a lot of profit, and then uh, participate in that process. So that's that's the thesis behind it.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Um, we share similar views on education and that whole system. Um, what well, won't go too deep because could talk about it forever. Um, you talk about the you know the billionaire goal. Um, like what, once you hit that, like what's next and, and how, and, and when do you want to do that bar?
1: I think if I said it, it would, it would sound unreasonable, but I think that, I mean, I'll tell you what I have in my head. I don't think I've said it publicly, but um, I think 10 years is what I, is what I think I can, I mean, it'd be cool to do it sooner than that. And that's barring, you know, a global meltdown and reset or whatever, <laughs> you know, like an erasing of currencies and, and crypto ruling the world. But, you know, short of that happening. And as long as, you know, the, whatever the, the recession that is coming comes and it's just a normal level recession and not like a global depression meltdown. Um, I think that in 10 years we could get there. And that's just based on the normal, like just based on the assets that we already have, how I plan on allocating the assets and what kinds of returns I think we'll be able to reasonably expect. Um, that's where that's, that's based out of. Cause all I have to really do is get to a hundred million in EBITDA um, in 10 years. And then the company, you know, the portfolio i have will be worth a billion. So, that I mean, that's that's what I have to do. So I feel like I can do that, though.
0: And I'm curious as well, kind of like, what would be next once you hit that?
1: What would be next is just continuing. Alex's boring recipe for success is just keep doing what's working. Um, I would just continue to do that. But I think that what will be different about the acquisition.com, the way I'm designing it is, I'm, I'm trying to design it so that everybody, every single party that touches it benefits. So the vast majority of the, con- like, cause there's a, t- it's like an ecosystem of what I'm trying to build. So everybody who consumes all the content for free, right? Gets hopefully value far in excess to the time that they're investing. Cause that is the real cost. It's the time that you're investing in consuming the content, right? And so if you get value far in excess of that, then you will be left better off. And that's going to be 99.9% of people cause I'm not selling anything. For the 0.1% or 0.01% of companies that we may end up you know, partnering with or doing some sort of investment deal with, those companies will benefit because we'll be able to directly invest in them and we'll help them help them grow. The team that I have within acquisition.com, I'm recruiting the absolute best in the world. So we're talking about people who have uncapped earning potential so they can make $500,000, $1 million, $2 million a year, $5 million a year. Um, within that structure. So the people who work for me will be able to make, you know, tremendous amounts of income and in, in create their own, own independent wealth. And then obviously acquisition.com as a portfolio itself um, has to make money. And then maybe in the future, I'll be able to help all of those companies, you know, all those people, they could reinvest uh, their own money and then also participate as both an investor and a, and a doer. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to create is just a, a huge ecosystem that just creates value for all parties that are involved.
0: Mm, yeah, love it. So, um, we I want to dive into your framework more, but I have to ask one question selfishly. It's not it's not written down here. Like, dude, if you want to become a billionaire, wouldn't the fastest way, from from my perspective, and this comes from, I've interviewed a lot of billionaires, spoken to a lot of like extraordinarily successful people, probably hundreds at this point. Um, there is no doubt about it that the fastest way from my perspective to uh, acquire and generate serious amounts of personal wealth is starting a software company and getting it yeah. to a hundred million ARR. Um, mm-hmm. why, why don't you do that? Like you're a super smart guy. Why wouldn't you just focus on that?
1: It's a really good question. It's it's what, I mean, my wife and I talk about all the time because I, I say the same. I mean, we, we go back and forth on this thing. Um, I think the biggest thing is, I'll walk you through the decision-making process or at least the reasoning behind it. So I think that software, if you look at the people who are billionaires, right? Many of them created through software now, right? And so what I feel like is not represented is the many people who tried to create it with software and failed. And so if we're looking at the ones who become billionaires, it's like VC, if I bet on 50, one of them or two of them are going to hit it, right? But if you're the entrepreneur in the one, your success likelihood is far lower. Whereas I feel like if I invest the way that I plan on investing, I will have a vehicle that compounds capital at a very high rate of return. Um, and I can diversify my risk and and virtually guarantee that I get there. And so that's the, the, it's it's a risk analysis, which is I could probably hit bigger, but the risk that I don't hit it um is is high, it's reasonable at least, whereas the risk that I don't hit it on the other side, I feel like is is dramatically lower. And I still have software companies that are coming to me that I can still participate in that process with. So that's that's the that's the overarching reasoning behind it. Now that being said, maybe in three years we'll get on here and I'll be like, you know what, man, I was full of shit. I saw the software opportunity and I crushed it. So maybe that's but where I currently stand, Um, and I think part of that's because my heroes are like Charlie Munger and and Warren Buffett. Like those guys are my absolute heroes in terms of how they live their lives and how they make decisions and how they think through things. And so that's, I think that's been a big influence on why I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to go in this direction.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So you go in like the portfolio model, look, to be honest, it's probably more fun that way too. Let's be honest. Um,
1: (laughs) that was a big part of it because Layla and I spent 18 months figuring out what do we want to do? what do we really want to do is the next thing, the next season for us. And, um, and I had all these like non-negotiables, right. I was like, I don't know if I want to run another one. Um, end to end. I mean, I can do it. I would just, I don't know if I want to do another, you know, grind first three years again. Um, maybe, but I don't know. Um, what's something that I won't get bored of. Cause for me, I get bored in about 24 months. That's my, that's my window. I know that. And so if I can participate in lots of different companies, I think that, that I will be able to keep my attention on one thing. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest, that's probably the biggest one. Because like every company we've started has gone from zero to, to 2 million a month in less than a year, like every company. So we know how to scale them. I just, I you get what I'm saying. <laughs> I'll stop.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, look, that, that's really interesting. Um, look, let's dive into your framework because I'm conscious we've got, we've got a bit to get through. Um, so you talk about crafting an offer that's so good that people feel stupid saying no. Um, So why is the offer the most important part when it comes to selling anything or or building a business in general?
1: So the offer is what literally initiates the transaction with the customer, What we're actually giving them exchange for their money. And I think most entrepreneurs who are starting out do it out of sequence. And so they try and fix step two or step three. And they're like, hey, why is my copy bad? Or why are my ads not performing when they're not starting with the very first part of the process, which is the, that that initial transaction, right? And so a lot of my learnings around the offer, came out of necessity because I prefer to be dealing with tremendous demand and fixing operational problems um, rather than trying to generate demand. And so my, my belief is like the, the three pieces of scaling that I adhere to is zero to a million is promotion, one to 10 million is product, 10 to hundred is people, right? And you can say, well, if you have the right people, you could do that. yeah, but that's not typically how it actually happens, right? So you have to know enough promotion because if you have nothing, then you need to get people to find out, right? So you have to start generating some traction. Once you get the traction, and this is where I think people mess up is they they get their first dollar from promoting and then think, I need to spend more dollars promoting when it's like, that is the the whole point here is to get the product market fit and make sure that the product is exceptional and we're getting virality from it. People are sharing it. We're getting amazing reviews. All of that stuff is happening because then when we go back to really scaling, we're going to get so much more return on every dollar of advertising or media that we're buying that it all makes the whole machine work. Whereas most people then try and dump more promotion on top of it, but the product isn't fixed. And so the reason that the offer was so important was because just getting that first traction, that first spark started, it's so much easier to just give someone everything they possibly could dream of and then work backwards from there.
0: I see. So that was gold. Um, bit to unpack there, you talked about kind of Getting the getting the getting the you know the the product the offer the people in that sequence. I'm curious, kind of. You said also that you know the past few companies that you've worked with, you've taken from zero to two million a month in a year.
1: Is that correct? Yeah. So Prestige launched 1.7 million a month uh, by month. I think like four. Uh, gym launch hit two million a month within 12 months of us hitting a uh, switching to licensing. Um, we actually, yeah. And then, um, and then Alan was at 1.7 as well. So just under two.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder Which was the steepest learning
1: curve? Software. Why? I I see business, like there's three pieces, where you've got acquisition, you've got product, and you've got ops, right? Shared services, whatever you want to call it, right? So with the first two companies, so with with, uh, gym launch, the gym licensing company, acquisition I could cover, product I could cover because I knew everything about, because what I was showing was how to acquire customers just within a smaller niche, right? Um, and run the business model and all the other things. So I, ha- I understood both the acquisition and the delivery to a to an immense amount of detail, right? I, 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 was a, I would say I was a master at it. I had master's level, both of these things. And then my wife is a, is a prodigious operator. Like she can build a team around anything, which is why we've been able to scale so many things so quickly. So with the first company, all three pieces were in place, it blew up. The second company, I contracted uh, the best doctor that I'm aware of um, to create all the formulas for all the products that we sold. And so I had the acquisition, I had the product, and then we had the, the, the operational piece again with my wife, with software. I knew how to acquire the customers. We knew how to build the team, but I'm not a code guy. And the mistake that I made when I was building Allen was that I did not have a, a technical co-founder, which is what I should have had. And so I had an outsourced development team and that was a big mistake. Um, I shouldn't have done that. And I just didn't. And the thing is, is it's so difficult. You know, I was, I was blind negotiating is how I'd say it's like you, I would say, Hey, can we change this button? Right. And then you'd say, you know, it takes a month. And I'd be like, I feel like you can do better than that. I had no idea. It could have taken two years. I have no clue. So I'm blind negotiating, trying to just keep a front, but I have no clue what I'm talking about. And I hate operating from some sort of that kind of information disadvantage. And so that was the, that was why it was so difficult. Now I blew the doors off for the acquisition cause I can go market and sell all day long. Um, but with software, to your point, getting, you know, 100 million ARR to get the 10X multiple that you're gonna get on it, it's about having net negative churn. And that's gonna be all product driven, right? That's gonna be making sure that the UX is amazing, the engineering team's on point, you know, like people are promoting like crazy, all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like it's interesting cause in the internet marketing world, um, cause I see this all over the place. So many of these guys are switching to trying to do software, but they're selling the software the same way they sell their digital products, which means they have a shit software and they're just selling it. And then everyone's leaving and they're like, I'm going to be able to sell this for a ton of money. It's like, no, you're not. You're only going to be able to sell for a ton of money. If, if you didn't market, It still grows.
0: Yeah. Well, look, there's, there's the power. The, the power with software is the utility of it. And if you, if it's a, if it's, if it's, if the product is so good that it causes someone serious pain and has lock-in then yes, it, 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 you golden.
1: Yeah, and that's the. It's easy to say, hard to do. Correct. And so that's um that was why it was the steepest learning curve for me. Gotcha.
0: So can you tell me also about kind of um the tiny market big money process? Like how are you
1: finding niche markets that are overflowing with cash? I would say they're not necessarily overflowing with cash, but I think if we can apply a standardized framework to how we approach their business This sounds silly but like you can plug into the, universe, the 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 universe's money and then you can have as much money of it as you want so for example let's say i was i was working with you know hair stylists typically not what most people would consider a very affluent you know demographic now there's plenty of them and it's definitely a niche um but they're not considered i would say you know super wealthy but If I know how to market and sell and and deliver high value services and I show them how to do that and they can immediately generate, let's say $5,000, $10,000 using a system that I've put together for them so they can run their business model, I don't need them to have money. I need my system to work and then have the system make them enough money to pay me. And that's the key point. Like. With, with any of these things, it's like, I've never operated on how much money someone has. I operate on how much money I can make them. And then I siphon off of that. And so I'm going to dive a little bit tactical on this, but I think it would be valuable to the audience. So there's a there's a process that we have followed um, in every company that I've ever built. Um, and this process will be in the third book, which is called Money Models. Um, but it's, it's called Client Finance Acquisition, or at least that's what I call it. And so client finance acquisition is when you have essentially a negative acquisition cost. And the equation for that is, for me, that I must make in 30-day cash, right, which is something that I call, which is the amount of cash that I can take from a customer in net-free cash flow in the first 30 days. And the first 30 days is important, which I'll, and I'll get back to why it's important in a second. But the amount of money that I can generate from a new customer in the first 30 days in net-free cash flow must exceed two times the cost of acquisition and the cost of fulfillment. If I can do that, then it means that I no longer am capital constrained for growth. And so I can use the cash. So let's say I acquire, let's say it costs me 100 bucks to acquire a customer, right? And let's say it costs me, I don't know, 100 bucks to fulfill them. All right. So $200 is my cost. I have to make two times that in net free cash. So I would have to price, I would have to be selling whatever the widget is. I'd have to generate $600 in cash in the first 30 days from that prospect, if I can do that, I cover their cost of fulfillment and their cost of acquisition and the cost of acquiring and fulfilling the next customer off of that initial. And I still have money left over to then profit, hire more people, et cetera. And so that is what we try to design design and acquisition system that we build independent of market, whether it's for photographers, whether it's for certifications, whether it's for gym licensing, whether it's for e-commerce, we do it in every single vertical we're in and we continue to push the model until we achieve that. And then at that point, we no longer have a marketing budget. We can spend as much money as we damn well, please in the acquisition and then operations becomes the bottleneck of scale. And so that is why each each of the companies has scaled at such a rapid rate is because I don't need anyone's money to do it and why we've owned every one of the companies outright without taking on outside capital.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that, man. That's really, really fascinating. So- Four-step
1: process I can walk you through if you want, but-
0: Yeah, no, this is <laughs> that's awesome. The,
1: that's the subject of the third book.
0: <laughs> Look, we could talk about this all day. Um, I'm curious around kind of pricing. You've talked around 100 xing your prices and- yeah, like actually acquiring more clients. Like, how did you pull that off?
1: <laughs> By making them an offer so good they felt stupid saying no. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so I, I give the classic Dan Kennedy example, which I like a lot, which is let's say that we had a, a time management course, right? It's a generic time management course. You sell for 19 bucks. You're not going to be able to sell for really much more than that. If I drilled down, down a little bit and made it a sales time management course, I might be able to sell that for $99. If I niche down even further and said outbound sales or sales reps, I might be able to sell that for five hundred dollars. If I niche down even further, I might say um, you know automotive outbound sales reps. I might be able to sell that same course for two thousand dollars. And so the difference between the nineteen dollar thing and the t- and the two thousand dollar thing is a hundred x difference in price. And we're able to achieve that because the avatar that we're selling it to, we can clearly demonstrate how much one additional sale could mean for them in their paycheck over the year or maybe one more sale per month and then dramatically show the discrepancy in what, what they're paying and what they're getting, right? And so I feel like it is, unless you are well-funded and well-capitalized and trying to go after like a market penetration strategy, which the vast majority of entrepreneurs who are bootstrapped, etc., do not have that situation, then they have to go, in my opinion, in the other direction and say, how can I very specifically, find an avatar that I will have a competitive advantage because I will understand their needs, wants, desires, problems, etc. And I can, in a very real way, provide more value than anyone else can because I am so nuanced in who I serve. And then, with that niche down messaging, positioning, problem solving, etc., I then generate outsized profits, which then allows me to spin the acquisition machine so I can get more customers, I can spend more money to, to get higher quality talent, provide a better experience, etc. Fascinating.
0: Look, if there's one thing that you wanted people to walk away from kind of everything you're doing on the education piece, the the knowledge sharing, the books, what what would that be?
1: Give more. And I'll pause for a second and, and, and explain that. So I think that the one thing that I think Gary Vee says this well, he says, you know, listen to what I'm saying, but watch what I'm doing, right? And I think that most people could learn more by watching the entrepreneurs, what, what moves they're making rather than necessarily even what they're saying. Um, And part of that is because I think, you know, you don't always, you're not always consciously aware of the moves you're making, right? You just, you only remember to say X, Y, and Z, but there's more nuance to it. And so the thing is, is I think that goodwill compounds faster than revenue does. And so I believe that if you truly give tremendous value and tremendous being the operative word here, I think most people are like, dude, my content's so good. It's like, yeah, but no one watches it. And if it were so good, you would have more people watching it, right? if you give a tremendous amount of value better than what everyone else's paid stuff is, and that's, and that has to be real though, right? Like that has to be real. People say that, but it's not true. And that's the hard part is that the self-awareness piece of like my stuff's so good, but it probably isn't which is why you're not making the money you want because you're not as good as you think you are. But if you actually can deliver truly more than anyone else can, and you can price it at zero, the amount of goodwill that you get becomes viral. And then at that point, you will have more demand than you know what to do with. And then at that point, you'll have this desire to liquidate the demand, the goodwill, and monetize it. But that's what you should resist doing. And instead, double down on giving more and only, only skimming off a handful that you can service at a high level. And by doing that, you never have to keep generating demand. You will always have more demand than you want, and that demand will continue to multiply. And I talk about this in the book in the delicate dance of desire, right? Which is like, if we can just service the absolute best customers, the best avatars who perfectly fit the problems that we know how to solve better than anyone else, everyone else gets value from you in the marketplace and the people that you specifically select to be your customers will get outsized returns. They'll rave about you. More people will demand what you want. And again, you sell less than your ability to sell. And I think that's the dance that most people mess up. And so if I had to consolidate it into two words, it's give more. And if you give more than you take the marketplace will always reward you. But most people, their messaging is just, you know, give, take, give, take, (laughs) give, take, whereas rather than like the true, like give, give, give. And my opinion is give, 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 keep going. And eventually you just start getting, you don't even have to ask. You just start getting, that's just something that I have lived through. Um, and I think that if that became real for more people, more people would become zillionaires. But it requires the the big P word, which is patience, and most people don't have. It, so.
0: mm, man, I love that. Um, I think that's really, really smart. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So, I'm curious as well. I want to talk about mindset. Um, not sexy uh, often, <laughs> often kind of overlooked, but you know, you're, you, you've had serious success for someone your age. Um, I'm curious kind of like what, what gives you the ability to go out and kind of sell and do what you do and not even just selling, but like even the way that you speak, like you really command a lot of confidence. Um, what, what, what how do you acquire that? Were you always this way or?
1: Yes and no. Um, I think we have natural proclivities and I think everybody's, you know, we have natural tendencies that we're we're better at than other things just from our upbringing, whatever. Um, But I've thought a lot about this. And I think that there's, there's three pieces to it. There's skills, beliefs, and character traits. And hopefully it's not repetitive for you. You probably heard me say this, but like, I see the ladder of success as having three sides, you have both poles and you've got the middle, the middle handles that you need to climb up. I think that a lot of times entrepreneurs are lopsided They'll have, let's say their, their skills might be you know, up to the 10th tenth, tenth story of a the building. Their, um, their, their traits might be to the sixth sixth floor, the left pole, but the handles, their beliefs might be to the third. And then they're curious at why they can't get past the third pole. And then they keep growing their skills from the sixth, to the, or sorry, their, their traits from the sixth, to the seventh, or their, their skills from the 10th to the 11th, but they can't get past the third thing. It's because they don't adequately understand what their limitation is. And so I think that's the, like having that level of discernment and awareness of figuring out what my true bottleneck is, because people solve problems that aren't, that, that aren't problems, they're circumstances, right? And so they, they put all this energy and effort to thinking, like, I need to get another copywriting course, but copywriting is not the weak link in the chain. And so they keep fortifying a piece of the bridge but there's a part that has a brick missing and a kink get the dollar across the bridge, but the side on the right has 17 pillars holding it up to hold up all this traffic that's not coming because they're missing something very simple. And I think that's the, I think that's the piece. Hopefully I answered the question.
0: Yeah, yeah, know, you did. Um, last question is just kind of like biggest mistakes, common mistakes you see people make, especially early stage entrepreneurs, startup founders, um, what, what are those, what's like the biggest
1: mistake you see entrepreneurs making in 2021? I'm going to request an ask because I had one thing that I would just, I'll hit on the last question. Then I'll answer this question because you said something about confidence early. Um, definitely not. That was not born. That was, I, I still suffer from insecurities. I'll tell you right now, like I'm going to probably make a video in January that shows my tax returns in the last four or five years. And I'm insecure about the numbers that I'm showing. And it's a lot, uh, by most people's standards, but because I just still feel like it's not enough. Um, just, just candidly. So the insecurity, I don't know if that ever goes away, but in terms of the commanding, the confidence, um, I don't think that there's actually a hack to this. And so I, I feel pretty passionate about this. So we've, we've used the term because I had somebody at an live audience ask me this and something came out of my mouth and people kept repeating it, which is you have to outwork yourself down. And so When we talk about sales processes, or if I talk about monetization structures, I talk about, you know, creating offers, right? We're like, you sound like you have so much confidence and conviction in this. And am I allowed to cuss on this? It's because I've done it so many fucking times, right? And so when people were asking me, like, and I'm going to, I'm going to really drive this because I think it's important. So when we started the gym business, right? And this is just because so many people are learning from people in the e-learning space. And I think it's good to have a lens through which to make decisions, right? Of how, how much am I going to weight this person's opinion? Right? So I had one gym and it was successful. And then I had a second gym and after I had my second gym, I didn't start selling how to make a gym successful. I had a third gym and then I had a fourth gym and then I had a fifth gym and then I had a sixth gym. Right? And then at that point, I didn't sell a course on how to make gym successful. Then I spent a year and a half flying out because I had an offer that no one could say no to, which was don't pay me anything. I'll generate 100% of the sales. I'll risk my own money, fly out there and do it myself. And I did 33 turnarounds. So 33 different markets sat at the front desk for three and a half weeks and sold memberships all day long. I had 4,000 sales face-to-face under my belt before we started gym launch. And so I think what happens is what I was talking about, that goodwill thing, is like people are so, so impatient to jump to the next level of the pyramid that they don't build the foundation. And I it's my belief that the peak of the pyramid is predicated on the base, on the thickness and the and the width of the foundation that you build. And that's the rocky cutscene that most people are not willing to go through. Like people are like, how have you achieved what you achieve? But like there's five years of my life that disappeared. In fact, I lost all the money, which I talk about in the book. I had all the gyms, I did the turnarounds, and then I had $0 dollars five years later because of mistakes that I made. But the things that I was gaining was not the money, it was the skills, it was the character traits and the beliefs. And those are the assets that I was able to take with me. And then the next thing, because all I had, because I had the traits and I had the, the skills, I had already run a huge sales team. I was already used to doing 20, 30, 50 sales a day, face to face. Like I knew how to do a high volume sales. A sales team. I knew how to market. I knew how to write copy. I knew how to buy media. Like I knew how to do all this stuff. I knew how to deliver on the thing. But the thing that I was lacking was the belief in terms of the opportunity vehicle that I need to wrap those skills in. And once I had an outside person who came in and said, hey, I think you should use this vehicle instead of this vehicle, that's when everything took off for me. But people see that overnight success, but it was because of the foundation of both sides of that of that ladder that were built, and I was just missing three or four of these pegs, and all of a sudden I was able to spring up from $3 million a year to $30 million a year in 12 months. But it was because all those things were in place. Sorry, I knew that was, I just wanted to hit back on the other one about confidence. It's like most people are looking for a hack when the reality is that you're just not as good. You're just not that good. And the way to be confident is to do it more times to do it so many times that it's obvious to you that it is boring to you. Once it gets boring, is when people will, you'll sound like you are confident, but to you it'll be matter of fact because that is just how it is because you've observed it in reality, not in theory, so many times. And the problem is most of the guys who are saying the stuff are only saying it because they heard someone else say it and they're regurgitating theory, but they never experienced it. And that's the kind of grit people can hear. Mm.
0: Yeah. Look, we could talk about for days, like around the market and the advice and all that kind of stuff. Like I think you, you and I probably, I think you and I share a very similar opinion
1: um, there. Uh, and but like experience builds confidence, right? Yes. And I, I can answer the last question if you want, the, the biggest mistake you said that that younger entrepreneurs make. Um, and it, it's it's it time horizons. It's rush, the biggest mistake. I mean, I always like, because I have an, an 18, now he's 19-year-old neighbor and he kept trying to make, a, make, he was trying to be a millionaire, right? Every, every month he was trying to be a millionaire with a new thing. And I was like, if you could sign a contract with me, and I said, I could guarantee that you'll be a millionaire in 10 years, but you're not gonna make anything between now and then when you sign it. He said, Yeah, I'd sign it. And I was like, cool. This is your note, this is this is your employment agreement. Now you're working for me and you're gonna start cold calling. And so he started cold calling. And he started his way. Now he's like, you know, he's he's one of the top closes on our team. He's worked his way up three rungs of the ladder in our sales teams. And now he's he's 19 years old, making 150 grand a year, right? Um, because he's, he's taken everything to heart and he's got hustle, but this is just the beginning of his journey. There's lots of other skills along that I'm going to start putting in and, and putting into place so that when he is done that, instead of having a four year degree where he's going to learn how to chug beer, right. Four years from now, he's going to have 500,000 saved up and he's going to have all the skills so that he can start his, his next thing the right way with experience inside of a business, knowing what it's supposed to be. And so the biggest mistake that they make is that they're such a rush that they try a new thing every 90 days. And my fear is that there are going to be so many guys who've been trying to make it big in 90 day sprints on the next new thing that 10 years from now, they think they're 90 days away. When if they just stuck with the same thing for 10 years, it would be unreasonable for them not to be exceptional because no one has stick to it And if you stick with it, even if you suck, you'll be better than most people after a year. And after 10 years, you'll be almost untouchable because no one
0: sticks with anything. Man, that was an epic story. So, so you got an apprentice. He actually signed the contract.
1: Yeah, he, he started working with us.
0: <laughs> wow, that's cool. He oh,
1: was wow. trying to wholesale real estate and I walked in on him because he, he got some course or whatever on the internet. And he was like, and I, was, I would always ask, how many deals you got? How many deals you got? he was always zero. I was having many deals. I haven't made deals yet. And then I, um, I walked in on him while he was trying to close the deal once and he hung up and I was like, dude, like, I know you have not closing deals. He's like, what? And I was like, you suck at sales. And he was like, oh. And then he like paused for a second. He's like, how do I get good at sales? And I was like, you sell. <laughs> and I was like, so, you know, you can try and do it on your own. I was like, "Or I can just feed you volume all day. And you can get, you know, 100 reps a day every single day. And you're going to, you can massively condense that, that learning. Barrier. And he was like, well, I'll do that. And I was like, and you can get paid to do it. Is it paying money to do it? It was like, well, I guess I'll do that. So here we are. Awesome. Well, look, um, we're going to move to rapid
0: fire questions. Age old question, does money make you happy? Yes or no, explain your answer.
1: Yes. In that, it provides you the time to have the thoughts. So I think it opens the door to give you the potential to answer life's harder questions. But if you are stuck in scarcity and survival, you can never get to that. Or it's very difficult, I'll say to get to that level. Not saying it's impossible, it's just difficult.
0: Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Uh what's the big
1: picture beyond the money? It's it's the it's the scale of the learning. So for me part of the reason that I want to build acquisition.com to expand a little bit on it is because I don't I don't know anybody who's like a specialist in this space at taking companies from like 3 or 5 to 50 to 100 and I was like, man, we've done it three times on our own. And we've got a fourth one under our belt in the portfolio company. And I'm like, I'll bet you if I did it a hundred times, I would be able to write the sickest book about it. And then that, that piece of knowledge would be public domain and more companies could do it. So I would just see that as like me laying one brick, you know, on the path for, you know, the next season of entrepreneurs.
0: Last one. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur dead or alive, who would
1: it be and why? Jeff Bezos. It's a hard call for me. I really like Charlie and Warren, but I feel like I know what they'd say. Um, Elon is just so brilliant. I'm not sure if I would catch everything he was saying. Jeff is really brilliant, but I feel like I could, I feel like I could communicate with him. Um, and I'll tell you what I would ask him. Um, I would say, if you look at my skills, my character traits and my viewpoints of the world and you were in my shoes, what opportunities would you pursue? because he has a better vantage point than me. So he can see what I can't see.
0: Mm. Yeah, love it, man. Look, this was an awesome interview. We'll wrap there. But uh, thank you so much for your time. It was great to connect. Keep doing what you're doing. uh, Really enjoying your content. And uh, yeah, we'll wrap there. Thanks so much, man.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to be here.
0: Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview